What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, eat beef, eat beef. It's a mighty good food. It's a great A meal when I'm in the mood. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkbaum. <laughs> I'm Joe McCormick. And that was the Reverend Horton Heat. Coming up next, no, we wanted to talk about the future of protein, right? The idea, this idea of Protein and the various sources that we, we depend upon for protein, everything from beef to, to pork to chicken to plant protein to, well, I don't want to spoil it. We'll get there. But uh, I wanted to talk about how the way we get protein can make a huge impact on the world around us, right? Well, well, why why are we talking about this in the first place? I mean, if we've got perfectly good uh, four-legged sources of food running around, why would we want anything else? Well, one of the reasons is because those perfectly good four-legged sources of food 
put a pretty hefty toll on the environment, particularly when we're needing to produce it in the the amounts that we we require. And particularly if we are talking about meat of the beef variety. Yeah, that one imp- that one is the the worst of the worst when it comes to environmental impact. And by environmental impact, we mean everything from clearing enough ground for uh, for grazing, which you know, as our demand for meat increases, obviously the demand for land for cattle increases. Uh, that can impact everything from rainforest to other delicate ecosystems. And uh, we could end up losing lots of other valuable resources in the process and causing other issues. Then you've got things like greenhouse gas emissions, which particularly with beef are a real problem. Uh, things like methane. Uh, you know, cows produce a lot of it. And but it's not just emissions directly from the cows. No, no. Like that when you produce a the certain amount of, of meat, yeah, right. there's a huge backstory to that meat and yes. all of the different things that have had to happen to make that meat available to you add up over time. There's right, and uh, you know, for, first of all, I, I want to say that the amount of meat that we are eating is is on the rise. Uh, the world's total meat supply as of 1961 was like 71 million tons. As of 2007, it was more like 284 million tons. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it, 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 you know, doubled over that period. But in the developing world, it actually rose twice as fast, um, which, which basically just means that as people come into better economic situa- situations, they consume more meat. Yeah, there is a correlation between your financial status and the amount of meat you typically consume. You being societies out there. Not that's, just, that's right, because you don't actually eat meat, do you, I don't, I don't eat mammals. I, I do eat fish and fowl, but I do not eat mammals. Uh, it is not... It has nothing to do with uh, an ethical situation in my case, although there are plenty of people out there who make their decisions based on their own personal uh, uh, beliefs and ethics. And I have nothing against that. But in my case, it's because my wife had a bad experience with food poisoning in college. And due to that, she associates uh, meat with feeling not well, feeling sick. And so she just she swore it off and she hasn't really had any since then. And so uh, when I was dating her, I started to phase it out of my own diet. And in the process, that means that over the last 18 years or so, I've maybe had meat maybe five times. Wow. So uh, meat from the sense in the sense of mammals, there are, there are other types of animals I will hunt down and tackle and chew on. Ostrich, by the way, delicious. It is delicious. I think most things are delicious. You know, the entire does it have a face, does it have a mother kind of scale. I'm I'm like, I'm really sorry, but adorable creatures are pretty tasty. And I can't really, you know. Yeah, we we, we have to guard our our furry friends whenever Lauren comes to the office. That's well, not true. That's not true. It's true. She does eat puppies. <laughs> okay. What? It. what? Right. No, no. That's no. Just kittens. No, only just, just only kittens. only fuzzy bunny rabbits. Okay. Right. right. No, well, funny, but okay. fuzzy bunny rabbits. Hey, we yeah. cannot we cannot make jokes about uh, uh, eating kittens. We're on the internet. Okay, that's true. <laughs> Lauren would never hurt a kitten. We okay. will be digitally mm-hmm. lynched. Uh, but I do actually, I I do actually limit my meat intake for some of these environmental reasons. Right, um, and and we've mentioned a couple greenhouse gases and rainforest, but it goes well beyond that too, right? I mean, we're talking about think how much of the world's grains are dedicated to feeding the cattle that we depend upon for uh, for our beef. Right, right. The, the the number that I've seen is that it takes about eight pounds of feed to create one pound of beef. 
yeah, for that's, consumption. That's a lot of resources to create that meat that could be used for other things. Uh, then such you, as feeding, such people. as feeding people, feeding right. people exactly. And uh, then there's also how much water is necessary, not only to water the cow, like to, so that the cow has enough water to live, but from everything else that's involved in the meat industry, from growing that grain in the first place to all the different production uh, uh, stages of meat. This is. This requires a lot of energy resources, stuff that we could be using for other things, and it's truly unsustainable. Right. Um, that, that, that world consumption of meat is expected to double again by 2050. And these environmental issues are not small. One study in 2007 by the National Institute of Livestock and Grassland Science in Japan estimated that for every kilogram or, or 2.2 pounds of beef, it's it's responsible for the equivalent amount of carbon dioxide emitted by the average European car going 250 kilometers, or what's that like 155 miles? It's, it's that's that's a significant that's environmental huge. Impact. It's, it's 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 enough energy to to burn a hundred watt light bulb for 20 days. Yeah. Um and and when you when you get into the kind of numbers that we're looking at. Yeah. Right. As, as, you know, one of the things we want to try and, and solve, obviously, uh, I, mean, I would imagine most people would want to solve is, uh, a problem like world poverty. I mean, that's a huge, huge problem. And obviously we don't want people living in poverty. It's a terrible thing. Uh, but as people do get more, uh, access affluent. to more, yeah, more affluent, then they do tend to consume more meat. So, if we were able to find some environmentally friendly way to produce that meat, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit, but let's assume that we could find an environmentally friendly way that that at least had a much lower impact upon the environment than the conventional method of growing beef. A lot of the, the concerns I've read or a lot of the criticisms I've read are not that it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't have a positive impact on the environment. That part seems to be pretty much cut and dry, that this would be good news for the environment. The problem is that it would not actually go to necessarily combating world hunger, at least not directly. And the reason for that would be because the issue of access to meat, it's not access, it's the price, right? It's a poverty problem. It's not just an access problem because by by a lot of estimations, we produce enough food in the world right now to feed everybody. To easily feed everyone. Yeah, to a, yeah. for a 2,000 calorie a day diet, we have enough to handle everybody. But not everyone has access to that food, not because of the the actual access problem, but because of the financial problem. So the while, while we're going to be talking in a little bit about some alternate ways of getting at beef besides raising an animal and slaughtering it, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that suddenly we've solved the world hunger problem. That's a much more complex issue. Although once we can free up more of that land um, to, to to go to production of a more sustainable food source, I think that that would go. That could help. That it could all, certainly I, help. It all, again, it all depends upon how we dispense with that. Sure. So if we're talking about the future, I think we need to talk about alternatives. Okay. Because you do have this issue, this lingering issue that is hard to overcome. And the issue is people want to eat meat. Sure. They they just want it. And Mm -hmm. it's going to be hard to just tell them, no, you need to eat beans and grains and not eat meat. Right. Well, it's it's tasty and it's always been a status symbol, I think. Yeah. Culturally. so, So is there a way we can come up with something that will at the same time satisfy this need people have without causing the same problems that meat does? Right. 
Um, right. Are yeah. there are there real alternatives? Well, you know, for a long time, uh, at least people who absolutely love eating meat would have said no. That the like, for example, plant proteins. Plant proteins, we can get protein from plants. There are certain plants that produce the proteins that are necessary for us that you could switch to those and receive a lot of the benefits you would receive from eating various types of meat. Uh, they, they do contain slightly different combinations of proteins and slightly different fats. And it's it's very um, uh, there are a lot of questions in the nutrition industry about whether, you know, whether one kind of protein, whether is more complete than another or whether right. a certain kind of fat is healthier than another. In other words, like none of the choices that we're about to talk about are necessarily like you should like swear one, off. Like one-to-one replacements. Right, right. There might be combinations of diet that would be necessary for you to have a healthy adult diet that is going to provide you all the nutrients and proteins that you need uh, that uh, that also is not going to have any detrimental health effects. But, you know, in the past we would say things like, uh, uh, soy-based meat replacement, things that soy burgers or tofu or uh, tempeh, which is part of a – that's made from fermented soy. Uh, tofu is unfermented soy. But then there's a big controversy about the the health benefits and, and, and drawbacks of soy right now. I mean, it's, Right. We, we talked in our last episode about GMOs, and if you thought that that was a big – Big uh, fighting issue. Yeah. Then you have not read the forums right. on the soy. GMO can be cons- considered a kerfuffle compared to the chaotic arguments that happen within the soy community and the people who are absolutely for the use of soy and those who say that it is the most poisonous thing you could put in your body. Uh, really, the science is kind of still developing on this. There are conflicting uh, reports from everything from the way it uh, soy can impact your ability to absorb minerals to whether it's a carcinogen or it prevents cancer, right? Right. Well, okay. So the thing with soy is that it contains isoflavins. Um, which, which are that, that sounds delicious. <laughs> That's no flavor saver. It's <laughs> isoflavins. That sounds like a, a delicious frozen treat. That <laughs> it's, um, it, they're chemically similar to estrogens. So oh. I'm not sure what kind of ice cream stand you've been going to, but <laughs> I don't, I don't think it's quite the same thing. Um, <laughs> uh, two, two major types in, in particular found in soy, um, can, can act like estrogen in the body, which, means that they bind to estrogen receptors, which can spur estrogen receptor positive tumor growth. Can, sometimes in some studies. I mean, you know, it's, it's anytime that you're talking about nutrition, um, you're, you're, you're talking about individuals, all of whom have a, a different, a, a different genetic makeup, a different history, a different environment. Right. Um, they're eating other things differently. You know, no, no one in any of these studies is, is being constricted to precisely the same diet. So what you're saying is there are a lot of variables. Yes. And there are other studies that have shown that these same sort of elements can actually have a limiting factor on uh, tumor growth. So it's, it's, there's conflicting information within the science itself, and it may very well be that it's either a duration thing, like it's how, how long you have been uh, consuming this particular stuff, whether or not it has this initial boost to, uh, like, and usually it's for people who are already, uh, already undergoing cancer treatments that are really at, at high risk here. But there's, a possibility that at first there's a negative impact and then over time there's a positive impact. There's a possibility that it's an amount thing, but we don't really know. The problem is that there are people on either side of the argument who have taken very concrete stances on this. And, uh, and so there's, 
not a lot of dialogue in the middle. It's a lot of, of, you know, firm, quote unquote, facts on either side. The problem is the facts don't, don't they, all contra- match they contradict up. one another in some cases. Okay, so I understand how things like uh, tofu and tempeh and Satan, yeah, which and uh, stuff which like in that. this case Satan is which yeah. <laughs> Satan, which, yeah. Satan. Okay, so and, we're talking about protein uh, made from wheat. It's essentially gluten in that case, right? The, the, things like this can it's be not, a not talking good about the dark uh, one. Can be a good or maybe bad. We don't know. Can at least be some kind of nutritional substitute for meat. But you wanted but, an actual like. Well, I'm asking. I mean, how close have we gotten? to really replacing meat. I mean, creating a plant-based product that actually has the, the ability to trick the mouth into thinking gotcha. it's so, meat. So not just something that would provide protein, but something that would give you the same experience as if you were eating actual meat. That's what you're asking, right? Yeah. Well, there are so- several companies that have been working on this, using plant proteins and various approaches to create fibers, to create a, a kind of meat substitute that's supposed to mimic meat so closely that people who are meat eaters have said, you know, this is... This, it tastes meaty. It has that mouth feel of meat. It sounds, I hate using the phrase mouth feel, but that's the way no, everyone talks about it. Keep using it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the mouth feel of meat. So you know how it feels when you take a big old bite of a juicy burger. Well, a lot of it's, us. It's part of what, what the eating experience is. Yes, it is. It is. Right. There's that, that, the texture, the, the firmness, all of these things play a factor in what we consider the ideal experience for eating a particular type of food, whatever that food might be. It doesn't have to be meat. It could be whatever. Right. And for me personally, a lot of these plant-based proteins uh, wig me out the closer that they try to get to meat because it's, it's kind of this uncanny valley of meat effect. Right. Where it's, where, uh, it's where, almost but not quite like whatever it is you're trying to and have. And it's kind of terrifying. Like any time that chicken has, a, has an apostrophe in it, I don't really want anything to yeah. do with it. I would much <laughs> rather just eat an actual well, animal. Like I don't, I don't care for, I don't care for a lot of veggie dogs, for example, because they just don't really remind me at all of what hot dogs tasted like. And it's been a long time since I've had one. So, but even then, I'll take a bite. I'm like, yeah, this is not, not it. Not so much. Not it. Uh, I had enough hot dogs back when I ate meat to know that this is not the right taste and not the right texture. But there are companies out there that have been using uh, plant proteins to create really, really uh, uh, compelling products that really, apparently, according to people who eat meat, taste and feel like meat and those companies are well one of them is beyond meat beyond meat <laughs> yeah it's um it was the sequel to son of meat which of course was <laughs> was the lesser known uh successor to the great movie reanimator reanimator that was way down oh, the line no. i'm talking about meat just meat just meat son meat. of meat beyond meat no beyond okay. meat is a company that was founded by uh ethan brown and Ethan Brown grew up on a essentially like a, a dairy production farm and went into the clean energy sector before he decided he wanted to find a way to create uh, a vegan-friendly option of using plant proteins in a way that, that mimicked meat so that it would be indistinguishable. And so he joined up with some researchers and they started working on this company. They got some funding from some big names. The founders of Twitter ended up sinking quite a bit of money in this, not sinking, investing money into it uh, because it actually has been very successful. And according to the reviews I've read, the, the products that they create are – they really do taste and feel like meat. So it, it seems to have a very positive response. Other ones uh, – other companies that also are doing the same thing include Match – which is a company that came out of the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Um, 
And uh, they mostly supply areas in the Midwest. It's You can also apparently order their stuff online. Uh, and then there's another one called Plenty, P-L-E-N-T-I, which is out of the Netherlands. And all three of these companies, again and again, when I was doing research, were the ones that were mentioned as the companies that were making products that really did feel like a true meat substitute, not just a different way to get your protein that's that mimics the shape of other things. Like we've seen veggie burgers everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. But there's, you know, often a veggie burger can be really tasty, but mm-hmm. it's not something like you don't bite into it and think, oh yeah, that tastes like hamburger to me. It's just like, this is a different experience, but I like it. It's just not a not burger. The same. There's a burger place here in Atlanta that I think just has an absolutely delicious veggie quinoa burger. But I like about it that it's like, it's really good because it doesn't taste like it's trying to be fake beef. It's just right. it's yeah. a it's different kind thing. of food. Sure. Yeah. Sure. All, all of the fake, all of the non-meat protein products that I like. I, I, you know, I, I like lentils and I, and I, and I like tofu actually. I mean, mostly when it's deep fried, but isn't right. that true of everything? Um, yeah. so, you know, Ch- chicken fried tofu is a delicious, delicious thing. It is. Um, but so, okay. So if we're, if we're looking for something that, Let's say that that you don't believe in this whole plant eating plants thing, right? Let you, let's say that you have just decided that that it while while close is good, it's not good enough. You have got to have a beef burger. Is there any way of making a beef burger or making any kind of meat, any sort of beef product or or meat product in general? Is there any way of doing that that doesn't have this hugely negative environmental impact? Oh yes. Joe. Oh, yes, indeed. Fill us in, you sinister son of a whatever. Go. (laughs) So this year Uh uh, in London at an expo uh, in August 2013, a Dutch researcher named Mark Post from Mm -hmm. the University of Maastricht cooked up a burger patty. All right. Like you do. Without killing a cow. That was made without killing a cow. Wait, are you just, are you telling me there's just like a cow wandering around the Netherlands that's missing like a hamburger sized hole in its side? Um, no, no, it is not a cow that you have just cut a burger out of. No, this is what's called in vitro meat. All right. So what does that mean? In vitro, well, it comes from in glass. It's the idea of meat produced in a lab. So it's not just taken from a cow. But it is actually grown from a sort of cow culture. Okay, so what they did was they took a, a essentially a biopsy of a right. cow. Yeah, so uh, all organisms have these things called stem cells. Right, right, and right. These are uh, they're pluripotent st- cells that can mature into different types of body cells. So you have stem cells that can make the cells that occur in a muscle. And sure. And of course, the muscle is the part of the cow that you want to eat for beef. Right. So an interesting thing that this uh, researcher decided to try was to he take a biopsy from living cow without killing the cow, mm-hmm. put it in a culture in the laboratory, um, and get the stem cells to grow tiny strips of beef. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, it was a painstaking process that took a long time in, in many, many cultures. Um, but eventually what he did was he grew enough tiny strips of beef to mash them all together with some fat cells into and make a burger, a wow. real beef burger. Gosh, that's kind of crazy. So wait, uh, two questions. Mm-hmm. How much did this cost? Uh, <laughs> 
the first one cost more than three hundred thousand dollars to make. Yep, was it supersized? It's a very expensive (laughs) burger. Okay, but of course, it's that expensive because it's never been done before. Right. Um, and it's actually been estimated. I've got this interesting paper here. Uh, it's called uh, Environmental Impacts of Cultured Meat Production, and it was uh, a scientific paper from 2011 that uh, predicted or it offered comparisons of the predictions of the eventual cost of producing lab-cultured beef Uh with that of uh, conventionally grown meat. Right, right. And the differences are pretty huge. Like, for example, when it compared uh, the, their estimations for cultured meat to European-raised beef, mm-hmm. uh, so their findings were that there was a 7 to 45% lower energy use, a 78 to 96% lower greenhouse gas emissions, wow. 99% less land use, and 82 to 96% less water use. So the demand on resources would be way lower if we went to some sort of in vitro, be, assuming we could scale it up to a point where it made economic sense. sense. Yeah. Sure. Right. Obviously, if it never made economic sense, then it would never happen because we just wouldn't be able to afford it. But this is a big thing because the problem with um, getting people to change their diets is they don't want to. Right. Well, I mean, no, beef <laughs> is tasty. Yeah. You know. Well, that, that also kind of leads me to my second question. Did either of you see any of the um, reaction to what it tasted like? No, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I read some reviews. They were mixed. I mean, essentially, I got the impression that this was not the kind of burger that you would be satisfied with if you paid top dollar for it in a restaurant. But it essentially like tasted burger-like. <laughs> Burger-ish. Um, so th- I, I get the feeling the general idea was we're getting there. Gotcha. Like, this was this was enough like a burger. I mean, it did taste like beef. Mm-hmm. Um, it it was getting there, and uh, well, it didn't just taste like beef. It was beef. Right, right, right. Again, to reiterate, this isn't some weird synthetic thing. This is the same protein you'd be eating if you killed a cow and took it out. Right. It's just made without killing the cow. Yeah, I find it really interesting that the initial reaction from most people I've talked to when it comes to this this concept. Is one of revulsion yeah. that it's you know that's not natural. Therefore, you know it's, it's it's bad. It's bad, or I can't I can't stand the thought of eating something that was grown in a lab. And I I, I sit there and I think so. You don't want to eat something that was that was grown, but it's exactly the same stuff. You know, if you were to look at the materials, it's exactly the same stuff as you would get if you had raised and killed an animal. So, I, you know, it, it surprises me in a way to think that you would have this kind of immediate reaction. But it, I guess it's just one of those things where it's so different from what we've come to expect that there's that reaction where it's like, that's not normal. Therefore, I don't want it. Um, yeah. And so there are a lot of benefits that this kind of meat could actually provide it. So it's obviously got the, the edge on uh, energy investiture and all that. Yeah, water uh, resources. It doesn't have the problem of you, you've got to put all this grain into it right? Um, the way that normal conventionally raised beef does. So you could actually repurpose that that grain for to other reasons. To humans, feed humans, yeah. for example. Yeah, um, yeah. or you, th- this is really interesting. I just read this today. There's the idea that, well... Creating beef like this, you'd actually have a whole lot more control over the nutritional content of the beef. Um, because in this culture, you grow muscle cells and fat cells separately. 
what you could actually do, and this I thought was a really cool idea, was replace the normal saturated fat that occurs in a hamburger patty mm-hmm. with something much healthier like omega-3 fatty acid. Interesting. And that so you could, could mean you, you could get like a hamburger that would be very low in cholesterol. Yeah. Which yeah. is not the case with hamburgers today. True. Right, right. Interesting. Well, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. So there, there's also, sorry, one more cool thing I, I thought was, uh, was the idea that this could definitely lead to a decrease in food poisoning and zoonotic diseases. Interesting. Mm. So I have a question for you then. So let's say that, uh, we got the in vitro beef solution. And we've talked about plants as a source of protein. Can you think of anything else that could be a good source of protein? Can I? How many legs are we talking here? Uh, uh, six. <laughs> Sorry, I wrote that same joke into the script. Yeah, uh, I made the same joke about the supersize me in the script, too, so it's okay. <laughs> okay. Here's the thing. Lots of people are talking about the future involving eating insects, and right. they're not joking. Right. Okay, well, the thing is that the present involves eating insects. Two Over two billion people on the planet eat insects as a relatively regular part of their diet. Yeah. Right. right. Those of us raised on a Western diet, it seems completely alien to us. It's one of those things that is, it's one of those easy factors where you show someone like a, a bowl of insects or whatever that are, haven't even been prepared yet for eating. The, and we people make game just, shows out of it. Yeah. It's, it's what, well, yeah, it's, it's considered a punishment, right? And like, yeah. you lost, you have to eat, or fear factor, now you've got to eat a cricket. And, uh, not keeping in mind, you know, ignoring the fact that this is something that, in other parts of the world, is a regular part of a diet. Yeah, uh, for example, the UN Food and Agriculture Organization is mm. really pushing this idea. And one of the reasons is that if you want to get animal protein in your diet, insects are a much, much more environmentally sustainable and uh, resource-efficient way to do it. Uh, right. As compared to that eight pounds of feed that it takes to create one pound of beef that I mentioned earlier, it would only take uh, two pounds of feed to create one pound of well, food, insect protein, beef, insect, insect protein. protein. Yeah. Yeah. And insects are actually very healthy. Uh, low, low, low in fat, you high in protein, high health, in fiber. Healthy for you to eat or just yeah. like generally healthy? Like you've got well, a bunch the, of health conscious bugs out there. They're wonderful. There's this misperception that bugs are like dirty. I right. Think we have right. this idea that... Obviously, like the cockroach on your floor is dirty. You don't want to eat that. Y'all, let me tell but. you about some pigs. <laughs> you think that bacon's delicious. Let me tell you about some pigs. But uh, insects, actually, I mean, yeah, they're full of good protein that you can get good iron from insects. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get all, all kinds of nutrients that we need are abundant in insects like locusts and caterpillars and beetles that are already popular delicacies in cuisines around the world. And essentially all there is is a gross-out gap. Right. People who aren't used to this just need to be able to get used to the idea. Um, right, and- right. They, 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 can, they emit considerably fewer greenhouse gases, um, uh, require little to no land, could consume mm-hmm. waste products rather than, you know, needing to have uh, uh, um, specific crops grown for them. From yeah. what I understand, there's quite a few of them. Oh, oh, there's so many of them. What is it? Is it like there's 200 million insects for every person on Earth? Yeah. Is that right? That's, that's a buffet. Yeah. Um, so there's no, there's no problem with supply. Right. So, so question for you, Joe. Would you eat a bug? Well, 
I think if you just offered me a whole bug, I, I would admittedly be grossed out about it. But the other part of me would be I, I would want to be like, okay, I want to try this, you mm. know. I've never had a bug, but one thing that does encourage me is the idea that you wouldn't just be necessarily like eating whole bugs. Right. I mean, we're talking about insect protein, which could be processed in the same way that any other protein is processed. If you have a ground chicken patty, chicken nugget, or a, you know, or a hamburger made out of ground beef, you could similarly have ground insect protein being put into different food products to right, give you right. that healthy protein. Without you know the the kind of the gross out factor of the bug if that's a problem for you yeah right. it would be like a like a cricket meal like an almond meal or flax meal is sold yeah yeah so it wouldn't nec- just like you know when you're having a hamburger it's not like you're walking up to a cow and taking a bite out of it right you know, the same same well, sort of thing okay, uh, well, you're not. if you're not Lauren <laughs> I think somebody in here has actually eaten bugs before yeah well. I have never voluntarily eaten a bug, but oh, I've also ridden yeah. on the back of motorcycles. So. I should qualify. I'm pretty sure I eat tons of cockroaches all the time just because they crawl into my mouth while I'm asleep. Yeah, there's, oh. there's more nightmares for well, me. Well, that Thanks. was lovely. Uh, I, I did want to point out that the FDA, um, uh, for, for one, has has a allowable amount of bugs that can be contained within given food products um, without being considered adulterated. And... <laughs> I'm going to quote a few things for you here, and and all of these I want you to to to, to understand are even going above these levels would be considered non-hazardous. It would merely be considered not, for example, frozen raspberries anymore. You would have to label it as frozen raspberries plus larva. Um, the 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 only difference would be in an aesthetic purpose. Um, so frozen raspberries, an average of four or more larvae per per 500 grams or an average of 10 or more whole insects, or equivalent, per 500 grams. Um, Hmm. Macaroni, an average of 225 insect fragments or more per 225 grams in six or more subsamples. Tomato puree, average of 20 or more fly eggs per 100 grams, or 10 or more fly eggs and one or more maggots per 100 grams. Yeah, okay, so... Here at Forward Thinking, we think about the future. Yeah. And the future is insect fragments. I would, I would like to, uh, <laughs> I would like to say for the record that I will not be l- allowing my wife to listen to this podcast because she will never stop screaming. Uh, but Lauren, how about you? Like, Joe and I haven't voluntarily eaten any bugs, have you? Yes, yes, I have. Well, a- actually, I guess voluntarily was, is, is a contentious term because one of my friends in college for some kind of some kind of world food class project made some cookies and uh and brought them along with her one day when a bunch of us were hanging out and was like hey Lauren have a cookie and i was like yum cookies and i ate one and she was like haha you just ate crickets and i was like it was a delicious cookie i don't <laughs> okay, okay like, like so if, you if were you, trying to you were trying to 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 she was she was trying to gross out. she was trying to gross me out and it d- did not work yeah, at all well, Lauren the cow biter it takes more than that to gross her out, let me tell you, not a whole lot more. But no, no, I. Uh, well, okay, so it we, was it, it was tasty. I mean, it was um uh, it was kind of a oatmeal oatmealish texture to the cookie. Gotcha. Um, and you know, I, I had assumed that it was like an oatmeal chocolate chip cookie, and uh, and yeah, it was just made with some some good hearty cricket flour. That'd and be fine with the crickets, but ugh, oatmeal. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think if you can. Dip it in ketchup, people will eat it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or put chocolate chips in it, people will eat it. So, you know, and you're negating some of the nutritional value at that point. <laughs> to be fair, ketchup is still not a vegetable. Let's but. let's ask the, oh, Joe. I got a question for you then. All right, yeah. so let let's say 
Uh, let's say that someone has put down a plate in front of you. Uh, on the left is an in vitro grown burger. Like it's meat that's made from this in vitro process. So you've got the, the beef that's been lab grown on the left. On the right, you have a burger that's made from insect protein. Uh, and they ask you, they say that you have to choose one. <laughs> Which one do you go for? I, I guess I'd have to see what they looked like. I don't know. I Assuming mean, I, that have they both... no, I have no inherent prejudice either okay. way. So. But I, well, no, I guess that's not true. I, I would like to say that I wish I didn't have an inherent prejudice, but I'd probably go for the beef. So you go with the lab-grown beef over the the insect. But I'd probably stuff. probably then I'd go back and try to talk myself into the insect burger. Gotcha. Okay, Lauren, uh, would you just indulge your voracious appetite for insects again, or would you? I would. I would ask if I could taste them both and see which one I like yeah, better. Yeah, see, I would immediately just ah, cut each of them in smart. half and then smush them together to make a mega oh, burger, see, the I likes of which have no, never been I seen. I don't. Mm, Here's no, the question. See, that sounds bad. If if like you're about to eat your insect burger and a, and a bug crawled across the plate, would you send it back? Right, right. If you if you had a soup filled with insect protein and there was a fly in your soup, would that be yeah. garnish? Waiter. <laughs> oh, we're funny. Um, you know, it's uh, honestly, honestly, I don't have a problem with either either one. If you were to bring me. Like assuming that the insects have been prepared, I agree with you, Joe. I would have that same sort of initial reaction if someone just handed me a bug and said, "Eat this." I, I think I, I would definitely balk at that. But if you're talking about something that's been prepared in some way, uh, either turned into uh, a kind of meal and then, as in as in like cornmeal type thing, uh, and then cooked, or even if you're talking about something where you've just you know you removed the legs from the crickets and then done a quick stir fry type stuff, I've seen those too. I'd be willing to try that. I just have never really had the opportunity. And again, I think I would have to be on my own because if my wife ever saw me do that, I would probably end up being divorced because she has a severe phobia about insects. Uh, as for the lab grown beef, I wouldn't hesitate at all for that. Other yeah. than the fact that I can't afford it, I would have to. <laughs> Really? So, so you wouldn't you wouldn't have a problem with with lab grown beef, even though you don't eat? I would I would eat that. Yeah, okay. I mean, a lot of the objections. First of all, the biggest the biggest reason why I don't eat beef is because my wife doesn't eat beef. Right. Sure. So I don't. Again, I don't have an ethical issue with it. Although, as I learned more and more, because when when I stopped eating beef, it was before I was really knowledgeable at all about what was going on with the meat industry. Uh, once I learned more and more about the environmental impacts, I was like, huh, I guess it's a good thing I don't do it. I'm not contributing to that. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I, you know, don't just immediately try it again and go back into it. But if it was lab grown, I was thinking, well, you know, this was done in a way that what that didn't kill an animal. It didn't cause uh, a negative environmental impact on the same level as conventionally grown beef. And I'm curious about it. I'd, I'd go ahead and try it. Now, I probably well, wouldn't feel so great afterward just from the fact that I haven't eaten that kind of protein in a really long time, but that's beside the point. According to those estimates I came up with, and uh, and of course they are not I came up with, the <laughs> in the paper I found, <laughs> right. um, and they are just estimates, but I mean, in those predictions, the lab-cultured beef was better even than chicken. Yeah. I mean, I would, I'd be willing to try that. Now, I don't know if my wife would, because again, she psychologically associates meat with not feeling right. good. And even though that happened years, even though that happened when she was in college, I don't know that it necessarily matters where the meat came from. For the, her. The, the, well, the human drive to not poison yourself is a pretty strong one. Fairly strong. It does always make me wonder who was that poor, poor caveman who was given the job of, all right, eat that and find out if it kills you. 
Chris, don't eat it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, do you have anything else you want to talk about the future of protein before we wrap up? I'm just going to say the future of food is going to be weirder than you can imagine. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be uh, delicious, too, I imagine. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Eat yeah. all the things. Eat all the things. All right, with that, we're going to wrap up. Guys, if you have any suggestions, I recommend you go to fwthinking.com. That's our website where we've got all of the videos. We have the podcasts. We've got blog posts. We've got articles. Everything you would ever want when it comes to these kind of topics is all there. You can join in on a conversation. We look forward to hearing from you, and you will hear from us again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.